Even though God has made it clear how much he hates grumbling, we still all do it. And many times without a trace of remorse or conscience. And our grumbling takes one of three forms. Negativity, self-pity, or hostility. In today's podcast, we'll see God's remedy. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Can you ever talk about something negative or something painful? Or is that always complaining? I would say, no, it's not always complaining. There is an appropriate time. Jesus once said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death. And we know that wasn't complaining because Jesus never sinned. So what actually constitutes complaining? How would you define it? We can get a feel for it just by looking at the Greek word itself. The Greek word is kind of a funny word. It's gongusmos. Uh, so it's an onomatopoeic word. You know, it's a word that sounds like what it is, like, like zip or buzz or something like that. Um, it's, it's, that's what it sounds like when people grumble. Gone goosebumps. It's like, you're just like, oh, stupid. Gone goosebumps. You know, it's just kind of a, that kind of a muttering, griping, negative tone, that attitude. It's really an attitude. Grumbling is an attitude. It's a bad attitude about hardship that can go in three possible directions. Uh, negativity, hostility, or self-pity. The language that Paul uses in this passage points back to the complaining of the Israelites uh, when God delivered them from Egypt. Um, And if I read you all the passages in the Old Testament that talk about the grumbling of the Israelites in the desert, it would take up most of the sermon. There's so many passages that talk about that. Uh, The Israelites were world-class professional complainers. I mean, they're like the prototype of complainers. And if if you read all those passages, the thing that stands out, I'm not going to take the time to read them all now, but the the thing that stands out is these three attitudes, negativity, hostility, or self-pity. And and that's exactly what you see in our complaining. That's that's what I saw in those Twitter feeds. When I'm reading all those tweets, uh, those same three attitudes. Sometimes it was just negativity. You know, just completely blind to all their blessings and they can only see the, the, uh, the, the things that are not working out the way they want. That's all they can see. They miss the fact that they have a jet. You know, they have a limousine, they have a Ferrari, they just, a, a yacht. They just kind of miss that, and they just think of the driver and, you know, the delay and the... All. People who complain because of negativity, that brand of complainers, are people who think it's basically their job to just spot everything that's wrong in this world and rub our faces in it. They rub their own faces in it, and they rub our faces in it for no good reason, just to do it. That's the negativity attitude. Other times, it's all about pity. Um, that's, why they, that's why they feel the need to let the whole world know that they've got a cough, you know, or they're hungry, or they're tired, or they're sick, or whatever. We just want people to know how hard we've got it so that they'll feel sorry for us. And so we announce it. Hey, everybody, sore throat. Sore throat, you know. Just, uh, I, I have experienced a hardship, so everybody just, just stop what you're doing for a moment and feel sorry for me. You know, that's basically what we're doing. That's why we want to announce it. So, self-pity. And then in other cases, it's not so much a desire for pity as much as hostility, a hostile, 
angry reaction against this thing that they don't like. And that's, uh, you know, you, you just like, you set something on the counter and it drops and, ah, you know, it just, something doesn't work out and you just have this rage that just sort of comes up. Most of those celebrity complaints that I, I, re- I couldn't even read to you. I had to go through a bunch of them to get ones that I could even read because they're so laced with so much profanity. It's just bitter, bitter hostility against the situation. So those are, the, those are the attitudes that to me stand out with grumbling. That's what makes negative speech grumbling, is when it has one of those three attitudes, negativity, hostility, or self-pity. And, and so if it doesn't have those attitudes, there are some times when it's appropriate. There actually are times when it's okay to say negative things. Like, for example, if, some, if some, something's too much for you and you need help. And so you're sharing a burden. I think that's why Jesus did it. I think that's why he made the comment about being overwhelmed with sorrow. He wanted his disciples to pray with him. He, he needed their help. And so that's, that's not necessarily complaining. It can be. You know, when you ask for help, that can be complaining if you've got one of these attitudes. Um, but if it's just sincere request for help, that's not necessarily complaining. Another case where it's appropriate, I think, to talk about negative things um, is when there's a problem that needs to be fixed and fixing it requires talking about it. Sometimes that's the case, right? You've got to point something out. And so um, that's not necessarily complaining, but it can be, again, if it has one of these attitudes. Um, the attitudes are really the key. So let's talk about what Scripture says about how to overcome those three sinful attitudes, negativity, hostility, self-pity. What's the remedy for a complaining heart. Uh, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy 32. And I want you to turn there because I think that that's where Paul is pointing us. I think uh, Paul is, is pointing us there for the remedy. And I say that because the language that Paul uses in, in Philippians 2.15, 14 and 15, comes out of Deuteronomy 32.5. It's very unique terminology. It's only used in Deuteronomy 32.5 and Philippians 2.15. Um, you don't find it anywhere else in the Bible. So I think, there's no question in my mind, Paul is pointing us to this passage. He's quoting it, kind of, but he's reversing it. So I'll show you what I mean. In, in Deuteronomy 32.5, he says, They have acted corruptly toward him. To their shame, they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. Now, let me read it to you from the Greek translation uh, in, in Deuteronomy 32.5. It sounds this way. They sinned and are not his children because of fault, a crooked and depraved generation. So you can see how that language is the same as, as Philippians 2.15. I'll show you side by side here. Um, Deuteronomy 32, not his children because of fault, Philippians 2, that you might become children without fault. Okay, all the same words behind those. And then the second half of the verse, 32.5, they are a crooked and depraved generation, Philippians 2. You stand out in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. So what Paul's saying here is, look, don't complain so that you might become the opposite of those Deuteronomy 32.5 people. Okay, that's the goal. You need to become the opposite of them. And so don't complain like they did. They were non-children of God. You need to become children of God. They were full of fault. You want to become without fault. They're a crooked and depraved generation. You want to stand out in contrast to a crooked and depraved generation. So avoid complaining so you can be the opposite of them. That's the point. So how did the people in Deuteronomy 32.5 get that way? How did they 
what do they do wrong to become non-children, full of fault, crooked, and depraved? How did they end up in verse 5? They ended up in verse 5 by either rejecting or ignoring verse 4. Look at, look at verse, Deuteronomy 32, 4. I love this verse. It says, He is the rock. His works are perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. They became crooked and depraved, non-children uh, full of fault by losing sight of the fact that God is perfect, that he does, he, all his ways are perfect, all his ways are just, he is upright, and he does zero wrong, nothing wrong. Every time we complain, it's either because we don't believe that God works, or that God's works are good, God's works are good, or we refuse to submit to what he's doing, or we're ungrateful for what he's doing. So, so let's, t- let's look at those three things because those address the three attitudes. Three attitudes that cause complaining. Negativity, hostility, self-pity. Let's start with negativity. When, when somebody is you know, a negative Nelly or just a pessimist, Eeyore, whatever, everything, always talking about how lousy everything is, always going on about how corrupt the government is, always you know, talking about how, how high prices are, how poor quality, everything's junk these days, and it's not like the old days. People have that attitude because they really don't believe Deuteronomy 32.4. They have their eye on the evil that man is doing and they're oblivious to the good that God is doing which is far greater than the evil that man is doing they lack faith they either don't believe that God is in control or they don't believe that God is good somewhere in their thinking there's a breakdown in their understanding of Deuteronomy 32.4 because, because basically what they're doing if you're complaining you're saying God is just doing it all wrong if you're one of those negative kind of people, you're saying, God, God is just doing it all wrong. So what's the solution to that? Obviously, faith, right? Faith. Believe the truth about God that's described in Deuteronomy 32.4. Believe that God does no wrong. He is this way. Believe that if you're a complainer, one of the best things you can ever do is memorize Deuteronomy 32.4. Just commit it to memory. It's not that hard of a verse. Put it in your memory. God is perfect. He's faithful. He's just. He does no wrong, ever. So that every time a complaint starts to come out of your mouth, instead, let Deuteronomy 32.4 come out. Oh, uh, I lost my wallet. Well, <laughs> the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but he's faithful, God, who does no wrong. I believe, I, he knows what he's doing. And then give your, give your soul a little pop quiz. Say, okay, question number one, soul. How much wrong does God do? None. Next question, multiple choice. Is God perfect or imperfect? Soul, perfect. How many of God's ways are just? All of them. Okay then, so evidently, this is what's best for me. My alarm didn't go off. Toast is burnt. Blister on my toe. Flight delayed. The guy at the counter was rude to me. Life's moving too fast and I'm overwhelmed. Life's moving too slow and I'm bored. Something cost me a bunch of money. Government passed a ridiculous law. Uh, All of this is the outworking of divine providence. All of that is part of God's brilliant, perfect, beautiful plan. Loving plan. He is a rock. His his works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just as he. 
Every time you're tempted to complain, preach that verse to your soul until you believe it. Because, because complaining is a symptom of unbelief. In fact, I'll show you that. Numbers 11.1. 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs that I've performed among them. See, complaining is not just a a harmless little verbal habit. It is something that arises out of a deep-seated spiritual problem. Lack of faith. When I complain, I'm essentially accusing God of failing in His effort to do what's best. That's why it's so detestable to God. And it's also why rich people complain just as much, if not more, than poor people complain. You'd think that you know, the people that are really poor and have it rough, they would complain the most, and the people that are, are the, live in the most comfort, they would complain the least. It's not the case, because grumbling has nothing whatsoever to do with how difficult your life is. Nothing. Grumbling is the voice of unbelief. If you read the account of the Israelites in the desert... You see them, time after time, they face a hardship, and what do they do? They assume that God will not take care of them. You know, I think it would have been fine for the Israelites to, just, to, to, to cry out to God for help. They get to a camp, and there's no water, and they say, God, please, there's no water. Would you provide water? There's no food. Would you provide food? That would have been fine. But they didn't. What they did was they always assumed they were going to die. They assumed that even though God had promised to provide for them, that he wasn't going to do it. They just didn't believe. So one attitude behind complaining is negativity, and the solution to negativity, the attitude of negativity, is faith. Believing the truth of Deuteronomy 32.4. So hardship comes into your life, and you say, this is a good thing sent by God to benefit me. I believe that. It's a good thing sent by God to benefit me. Tracy got that. She made a, a plaque out of that and put it in a frame, put it in our bedroom, just... Right there. Good thing sent by God to benefit me. Are you someone who's always on the lookout for things that aren't going the way you want? And then when you find it, you rub your own face in it in your thought life? Or worse, you rub other people's face in it by always pointing it out instead of talking about uplifting things? And if you think you're just acknowledging reality and being a realist, Ask yourself this, do your words properly summarize reality? If you're all about facing reality, what about the reality of God's blessings? If you're being showered with hundreds of blessings from God, everything from the air you breathe to forgiveness of sins, food to eat every day, the Holy Spirit inside you, countless blessings, and you say nothing at all about all of that and focus only on the two or three things that didn't go your way, as if those two or three things accurately represent all that's going on today, that's not acknowledging reality. That's ignoring reality. It's ignoring 99% of reality and focusing on 1% and then ignoring most of what's true about God's purposes in that 1%. That's not living in the real world. Be on the lookout today for any negativity in your attitudes. And as your heart scans the landscape of your life, ask, is there a gravitational pull toward negative things? Or is there a wide open receptivity and responsiveness to God's love? 
Forgive me, Father, for my unbelief in this area, refusing to trust in your goodness when things don't go my way, especially small things. When big things go wrong, the pain of it can often drive me to remember these principles. But when I drop something or bang my elbow on something or someone makes a cutting remark, so often your goodness or your role in the situation altogether is the farthest thing from my mind. Remind me to trust in your goodness, Lord, even in small hardships. You are my rock. Your works are perfect. All your ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, you are upright and just. All your ways are loving and faithful to those who keep your covenant. In everything, you work for the good of those you have called. What can separate me from your love? Hitting my funny bone? Someone cutting me off in traffic? I rejoice in those things because they teach me perseverance and test and build my faith. You use them to refine me. And when I've been tested, I'll come forth as gold. Those irritations are producing for me an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course you will. You long to be gracious to us. You rise to show us compassion. For you are a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for you. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. You are the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in those you delight I praise and exalt and glorify you, King of Heaven, because everything you do is right and all your ways are just. You are the true God, the living God, the eternal King. When you're angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure your wrath. But to your people, you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You are good, and your love endures forever. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. The maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, who remains faithful forever, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. So into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.